Hello, welcome to Chapter 3 Podcast, the show for readers of science fiction, fantasy, and romance. This is Season 2, Episode 15, and joining me and Leanna today is guest Alex Nieves, YouTuber, to discuss the epic space opera Empire of Silence by Christopher Riocchio. So thanks for joining us, Alex. Thanks for having me. That's, yeah. How many episodes have you done now? How many was on... A lot. Uh, I don't know. I think around 30 ish. It's a CW season. It's not yeah. a British season. <laughs> yeah. 20, 22 episode seasons. Right. So Leanna pushed me into reading this, which I'm not upset about. I did like it. <laughs> but no. I know you It's guys... so rare that I do something like that that you have to take my word for it if I say it's good. It's so rare. <laughs> <laughs> you never push us into reading things so you guys i just read it this month you mm -hmm. guys are much farther along in the series than i yes, am that is correct uh, yeah so we are caught up on the series yeah. where we are <laughs> okay <laughs> we'll try to keep it mostly at least to book one although you know they may have some references so we'll start by talking spoiler free thoughts and then we will get into a spoiler section a little bit later in the episode and we'll let you know when we get there but for anybody who hasn't read this does anybody want to give a quick kind of synopsis what is this what can they expect from it isn't Rocky's pitch for the series that it's you know what if Anakin Skywalker becoming Darth Vader was the right thing to do that is how he sells it I don't think we're still quite there yet I don't know <laughs> it's basically I mean it's if you've read, I don't know what book you directly want to compare it to, but I mean, you're introduced to Hadrian. At, it's just Name of the Wind. It is kind of like Name of the Wind. Alex, <laughs> Alex is kidding. He's never read yeah, Name of the Wind. This is sarcasm. <laughs> According to people that hate this book, it's strictly because it's just Name of the Wind and it's uh, repetitive and redundant of that, which makes no sense anyway. But you're basically he, introduced he to Hadrian. plagiarized a book he's never read. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> By the Christopher Rocchio has read like three books and that's all he reads. It's like Lord of the Rings and two other books. That's that's all he's read. It's Hadrian as a very old man, basically retelling his life story and how he gets to the point of conquering planets and destroying billions of people and aliens and suns and everything in between. And then you start as a young man. And that's kind of where he carries you through to now. What is four books about to be five later this year? And. I don't know how many there's going to be anymore. I think, I think it was originally going to be five, but then because four was split, then that yeah, makes be it six. six. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I do think the framing of it is reminiscent of Name of the Wind. Like, I wouldn't call it plagiarized or anything, but I I know Leanna disagrees, but I actually... Alex, have you actually read Name of the Wind? Not yet. No. Okay. I'll get to it Shit. at some point. It's fantastic. Um, well, you've read Empire of Silence. It's the same thing. Exactly. It's, not, so, there you it's go. not the same, but there are definitely... It does definitely have a lot of things in common. Granted, there are other books that are also structured similarly, but it, it has... There, there are certain like plot beats and the framing yeah. structure that's pretty similar. I mean, I think it's equally similar to The Assassin's Apprentice. Yeah, I mean, that, that does the same thing. Where... Mm. I wouldn't say equally, though, because I think in terms of the things like going and I mean, I guess sort of. I don't know. It feels I mean, if it you boil it like down that, to though. like the storytelling structure of like yeah. old man is retelling his life, then right. sure. But everything else is probably drastically different. Well, there's the whole thing of like, you know, ending up impoverished, living on the streets for a while. Like yeah. that's in Name of the Wind. 
feel like no other book common. has done that before. Yeah, it's like only Name common, of the Wind and Empire of Silence. It's a very common trope of like it is your main protagonist at some point is going to be down on their luck. Like this happens in Warbreaker to one of the yeah, female characters. So I'm pretty yeah. sure Empire of Silence is just Warbreaker. Yeah, I mean, I think it's intended to you know give them more empathy or something. Yeah, I mean, well, I mean, you're like you can't have an, a character rise or grow or overcome adversity if they don't have an like adversity to overcome, mm-hmm. right? <laughs> I mean, well, Red Rising does it, Faithful and the Fallen does it. Like every mm-hmm. probably most fantasy and or sci-fi fantasy stories at some point just like kick their characters down into the dirt and make mm-hmm. them stand back up. Yep. It's, yeah. Yeah. Well, and especially for something like this, where you have a character who grew up in such a privileged environment, you have to. Which is the opposite of Name of the Wind, because he did not grow up in a privileged environment. I mean, he grew up in, yeah, it's more, what, but a safe and loving environment. Yeah, but not luxury. That's true. Um, but I think the thing that me and Alex kept comparing it to, uh, sometimes jokingly, but then it kept coming up on like <laughs> accidentally, <laughs> is Red Rising. <laughs> but like it's not Red Rising though. But like no. it's also a lot like Red Rising. <laughs> there's just there's a lot of because they're both sci-fi fantasy blends, space it's operas, like romantic influence. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like there's there's a certain things and like certain influences that you can clearly see is like oh that's very much like this exact thing in this other book that he hasn't even read so it's just kind of a coincidence or maybe that's just like a trope that a lot of people pull from or i think also it's i mean like pierce brown and christopher rocchio are both independently fans of the same things like they both love dude they both love book of the new sun they both love greco-roman like history so like both of them happen to write space operas where they brought in all their favorite things and yeah. those are the same favorite things so they seem yeah, similar like watching the last kingdom and vikings that both pull from the saxon <laughs> stories it's like i can clearly see you're using the same material to pull right this from. but it looks yeah. different mm-hmm. yeah well and i do think you can see some callbacks to dune like there's there's a thing very similar to mentat in in dune that's like a human sort of computer and you know religious control of certain types of technology which is pretty interesting yeah when the protagonist telling his own story is reminiscent of Book of the New Sun, which is something right. that Rockio is a fan of, unlike mm-hmm. King Killer. <laughs> <laughs> Tell us what you really think, Liana. <laughs> I literally filmed my, I finally filmed it today. My um, Empire of Silence is not Name of the Wind, you crazies video. So I've, I'm fresh off of my list of reasons. <laughs> okay. Okay. Feel free to explain. Okay, so you guys, I liked this, mm-hmm. but I know you both really loved it. So yes. what is it about this book that made you love it that way? What is it about it that you didn't like? <laughs> That's easier. <laughs> we'll get there. <laughs> I mean, the list is honestly pretty long. It felt like this book sort of came out of nowhere for me and that I hadn't seen a whole lot about it. And when I finally read it, I was just like, oh, it's actually just really good. Like, I'm liking this a lot. Uh, I liked Hadrian as a main character, and right off the bat, I love, of course, the the callbacks and the familiarity to Dune, because Dune's my favorite sci-fi novel, and I had also just read it again before I read Empire of Silence, mm-hmm. so I was getting a lot of the same Dune vibes, and just so, like, the world building, the atmosphere, like, setting up what's going to be this massive thing that you get into was just really awesome for me, and I loved his writing style, because, mm-hmm. like, I don't normally care that much about prose or like how beautiful something's written but similar to when i'm reading a robin hobb book 
or some others where I just stop and literally say, wow, that was actually beautifully written. Like it, it sticks out to me in these books quite often. Hmm. And of course he does all the other stuff really well too, of like developing an alien race and language and interesting uh, dynamics between, you know, different races of beings that was really uh, well done and action, of course, which I love. I mean, there's familiar tropes that you see in a lot of other books that he does too, like coliseums and things like that, arenas, that kind of fighting. But I just thought it was all really well done. So like even the familiar stuff that I've seen done a lot before, I feel like he did very well, some of it exceptionally well, and it just kept drawing me in and I wanted to get to more. Yeah, similarly, um, I had had it on my shelf for a long time uh, and it was just never like there was never like a reason, you know, that it was an urgent thing to read. And then Alex got a copy and I was like, hey, I have that, too. I should mm -hmm. finally read it. <laughs> and uh, and I was reading and I had had I mean, the reason I owned it was because I had had friends who were saying, oh, this is so good. This is so good. You have to read it. So I bought a copy, but I didn't read it. <laughs> um, and so then I started reading. I was like, OK, yeah, this this is this is good. This is quite good. And then as I kept going, I just kept being more and more and more impressed with everything that it was doing. And by the end, I mean, I told Bethany before and Alex, I think knows that. I mean, I actually cried reading Empire of Silence because of, you know, very spoilery reasons. But yeah, I just thought like everything he was doing was so like the craftsmanship all the time. Mm -hmm. I was like, everything looks like it, like in my mind and everything that's being described and the political situations and how intricate they are and everything that he's pulling from, from like other sources that I recognize, but it's paying homage. It's not plagiarizing. And it just, it just felt so just like artisanally crafted. I was like, mm, this, this is good. <laughs> yeah. I will say I felt like the world building was really excellent. And I did like the way that he handled alien races and the, you know, the, the language and cultural pieces of that. I thought all of that was really great. And there's, you know, some intriguing mysteries about alien races that are, are, are a little spoilery that I'm curious to see kind of where that's going to take us in, in the future. Yeah, <laughs> right. That's, that's one of the biggest uh, surprises of the series. And also just one of the coolest aspects of it is learning so little about the Cielsen at mm -hmm. the beginning and throughout Empire of Silence and to where it's at now in Kingdoms of Death is just like, well, they're on the cover. <laughs> oh, exactly. Just everything that gets you to that point. And if you like weird things to happen in sci-fi, the books get weird at mm -hmm. certain aspects. Well, it's like so it's... much of it is like Red Rising, but like Red mm -hmm. Rising is a lot more grounded in just like people and tech. And like Until that's you it. Get to Dark, uh, Age. Dark Age. Dark yeah. Age, yeah. Which is when like Dark Age is like oh, is a big cool. surprise because it hasn't yeah. been like that this whole time. Whereas like Empire of Silence is like, you know, or like this series is more like where Dark Age is at, except all the time. And like, that's, that's like the baseline mm -hmm. we're starting with. Um, so it was like seeing what if Red Rising had like aliens and weird space things. It wasn't just like, oh, we've got some high tech and we terraform some planets. Mm -hmm. It's like that plus aliens. And so then mm -hmm. like the complex, like it's not like human politics is like less complicated now. It's not like, oh, well, humans have decided to become like a monolith and agree on everything. And now it's just us against aliens. Like, no, humans are against each other just as much yeah. as ever, plus alien problems. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. it's just so complicated and it's wonderful. Yeah, and it's not just yeah. the Cielsen. Like you, you get introduced to a lot of different races, and they all have like fleshed out backgrounds and cultures and things like that, which is really awesome. And you know, part of Hadrian's whole, you know, character of wanting to 
at least in Empire of Silence, like wanting to become a scoliast, like that was what he wanted to do. It was like he is so all about like studying all these things. And you He's meet like other an characters. armchair anthropologist in the beginning. <laughs> <laughs> you meet these other characters that are, you know, just as interested as him and want to learn more about them. And you get to see a lot. Of, it's not just like Rocky took his time to actually develop them as characters. And because you're not going to get necessarily POVs, but like they're established enough that you understand like where they're coming from. And there's a whole lot of stuff that you learn throughout the series that it's not just surface level. They're not just there to like be a bad guy or something like mm -hmm. there's so much going on that's just there to uncover and that's just really well done yeah even like the complexities of language that even in the first mm -hmm. book you begin to see like it's like even from the beginning from the way that hadrian talks about wanting to study it it's clear that it's complex and then how his what he thinks is a pretty thorough understanding of things gets challenged and and uh he realizes how little he actually knows mm -hmm. and how little it gets shaken you know his like confidence and his uh, his ability to like come in as the british empire and talk to the natives <laughs> <Yep>. <laughs> like uh-oh yeah <laughs> turns out you don't know everything you thought you knew <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's interesting because you mentioned red rising and i would agree that i think that series is much more grounded in like the characters and that is the piece where like i think the characters in this are good but i some more than others <laughs> yeah. um but i i definitely care a lot more about the characters in the red rising series i really like the world building and i really like the mysteries of what's happening and like the larger story of where this is going but i'm a lot less invested in the characters i think it's much well so one i i agree to an extent it's like the the focus of the stories right because red rising is very much a human conflict throughout mm -hmm. and sun eater very quickly becomes not about that because you, when you're introduced to hadrian and his family in this which i i thought they kind of left like parts of that too quickly when mm -hmm. you're introduced to like his home planet and his father and like all of the politics going on and then you just kind of get like swept away to something else. Yeah. I thought they were going to spend a lot more time on that. So it almost immediately goes into like, nope, we're, we're space <laughs> opera now. Like we're not even going to focus on that. Like right. forget about that. Yeah, like, I think you and stuff. I talked about when we read Empire of Silence that like we were like paying attention to the politics of home and yeah. the politics of the parents and being like, oh, this is setting up what's and we're what we're gone. What? Yeah, no. exactly. <laughs> okay, so I just like scratch those notes. That doesn't matter. Okay. Yeah. That's great. So, yeah. I definitely agree. And um, I think Red Rising, you're you have a lot more. It's it's a more tight knit story, at least for a, a couple of books until you get to Iron Gold when it mm. you know goes multi POV and you're in different places. So you can't focus because you're following Darrow and like his direct group of people around him. Whereas Hadrian is really focused on Hadrian and like you pick up a couple crewmates along the way and then there's a few that are great and there's a few that are just like that, that just went nowhere like forget about it cat mm -hmm. <laughs> um, and there's just you end up getting more consistency I think I think throughout the books as you grow with like certain people that are like mainstays of the story mm -hmm. but in Empire of Silence is very much Hadrian yeah and, like one or two others that you might care about so i definitely see that and he spends a lot more time like establishing everything else around it whereas red rising is just like we're on mars like just it's kind of like earth <laughs> just, just go with it <laughs> because red rising very quickly abandons yeah. a lot of world building and just focuses on like battle and characters mm -hmm. and like once you get to like the the hunger games part of it it's just like yeah we're just we're in a field we're fighting like it's just it's fine 
Well, also the I think the tension is very very different in both series because of the um, the tense in which they're told. That Darrow mm -hmm. in present tense is on a personal revenge yeah. quest, whereas right. Hadrian in past tense is reflecting on his entire life. Right. Whereas, like, yeah. It's a really like your focus as the storyteller is different mm -hmm. because like there's something visceral about the present tense sixteen year old Darrow being like revenge. This will be mine. Yeah. Versus Hadrian being like. Back when I was so young and I thought I knew things. <laughs> hey, <right. laughs> yep. Yeah, I would agree. It, I do think that's one thing that's interesting is that Hadrian, he thinks that he really knows things. And he thinks that he is like down with the people who are poor and understands them and where they're coming from. And like you get mm -hmm. the vibe that the author understands that you know, his sort of privilege, the privilege of his youth is still influencing who he is and the options that are open to him. Um, but he doesn't see that, which is is interesting. Or um, Hadrian realized, I mean, if you mean the author as Rocchio or the author as old Hadrian, because old Hadrian as the author also realizes that. Yeah, I guess that. <laughs> back yeah. when I was young and dumb. <laughs> mm. Right. No, it's, yeah. that's a good point for sure. Mm -hmm. And yeah, there's it's it's funny if you if you read the lesser devil you get a lot of that too because that's from crispin's point of view his brother who i, I haven't read the other stories yet but that's oh, like the only novella that follows crispin and you get a lot of that same like you're he's so used to like his imperial family that when he goes elsewhere he's just like why are these peasants not obeying me <laughs> like, like you have a sheltered life don't you Oh, like we're, like to continue the Red Rising comparison, I've said this before to both of you separately that like Empire of Silence, like it's kind of like if Red Rising had aliens and if Darrow was a gold. Yep. Yeah. Like yeah. Starting with that frame of mind instead of starting from the bottom. <laughs> yeah. Right. Which I probably like the uh, the starting from the bottom story. <laughs> well, Hadrian like made it to the bottom down. eventually. Exactly. <laughs> Kind of, yeah. You know, like Name yes. of the Wind. Yes, like Name of the they, Wind. <laughs> they throw him out of a ship and he wakes up in literal dirt. Yeah. <laughs> Wait a second. That is wild. It is jarring. Especially is. when you think you're learning home politics and now you're in the dirt. Yeah, well, because like you like, have an idea. Well, right, because you're going along with him having an idea about where his life is headed and like what may or may not happen. And then things just kind of take a hard turn. Like a massive detour. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, a little bit. <laughs> We're heading for our grand destiny. But hold on, hold on a second. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. Yeah. Okay. So I guess my the one other thing about there's like a few things i mean i mentioned you know like i wanted a little bit more from the characters well, are we One moving piece... into spoilers yeah Bef... oh before before yeah. i guess carry on well, yeah i guess we had a slight <laughs> slight spoiler with the uh the ship thing but it's fine eh. it's, pr it's pretty it's early in the early. book and it yeah. might be good to know to not pay attention to home politics too much yeah. don't be like us and be like right. okay that's this and that's this and paying attention to dad and you're like okay <laughs> doesn't yeah. matter right very very different book that's how i felt when i started rage of dragons i was like oh they're throwing out so many names of characters and blah blah, blah. and that's just like character introduction death character introduction death, death. Like, i'm yeah. gonna stop learning everything because everyone's <laughs> dead just go with it yeah yeah i think you know one of one of the things with this is i the, the like the female characters aren't bad like i have read guys writing sff where 
their female characters are bad <laughs> and like are you saying the science fiction writers don't understand women i'm saying many of them do not <laughs> not all of them but i was so i'm always excited when i find one who has like excellent female a, characters. i don't know if you ever saw like years ago when scarlett johansson was uh an snl host and they did this sketch that was like a trailer for the Black Widow movie, but it's obviously not the Black Widow movie we, ha we have now. It was like a rom-com where like yeah. all of the Avengers are like in the apartment with her and like getting the goss. And like the <laughs> when they like throw up the end title, they're like, Marvel, we know women. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Marvel so is <laughs> often not great at that either. But uh, yeah, so it was it was interesting reading this because I was like, okay, like you you know like there were moments where i was like okay there's like some level of insight that you have about like power dynamics and relationships between people or like trying to have some level of nuance to the female characters which i appreciate so like mm -hmm. they weren't bad but they were a little shallow written if that makes sense like like but the I women were shallow but you seem to think that about all characters except hadrian not just the women you just think all characters around him are shallowly written yeah i guess that is probably also accurate so they're the, what they're not women they're just not hadrian <laughs> other than maybe like his brother was really interesting at the beginning but then we kind of left that and, and Gibson, I think I got attached <laughs> yeah. to. Yeah, so I guess that's the thing is there were a handful of characters that I felt like I, I but then we, you know, we left them so quickly. Yeah, I'd say, I mean, so, this is very much a Hadrian focused yeah. uh, storyline, even, you know, books two, three and four, like there are stronger side characters and there's like one or two that are like pretty strong mm. and the majority of the other ones are either just like part of the group or there's like very like one one not even a real negative because it's not it's like kind of a minor thing in the book but like the the love-ish kind of story that happens in empire of silence like leanne and i joked about because we did not care at all about it or the no. character anything that happened to do with it um so i'd say for you mean the like the 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 older woman that he is into who could care less <laughs> Uh, no, no. Alex we're is talking about cat. <clears throat> I'm talking about cat. Cat. You're talking. You're talking about Valka. Cat is a romance. <laughs> is I mean, that a, is that a of, romance? I mean, exactly. See, you're kind of making my point. Um, I, no, the, Valka. I just back. thought it was like a you know like a friendship or something where he like cared about somebody that had it bad. Well, when we say spoilers, I guess we can talk about. All right, we can get in. It. We can get into spoilers. We'll say <laughs> it's okay. Long story short, for like non-spoiler, I love the book. I'd say the weakest parts about it are some of the side characters, sure, because mm. they're just not they're not given well, time to really get fleshed out. And that's what like, I was gonna say. Like for like love they, story exists like, is like, as like as contrasting it again with Red Rising, like Darrow hangs out with like a core group yeah. like throughout all the books. So you yeah. know, like they're around him all the time. Whereas like them. Hadrian swaps out who he's around mm -hmm. regularly. So like it's not even that like. The characters he's around are like constantly there and they never get fleshed out they just yeah. like are constantly being rotated out yeah. for like right. other group or like the expanse where it's like you have like uh holden and like the crew of the rosinante and then other povs each book but like the crew is always the crew so mm -hmm. they always get more character development and that 
that happens to some characters in Sun Eater, but a lot of them are just kind of like a revolving door of people around him. And you're really just focusing on Hadrian and like the conflict of what he has to deal with right. more so than fleshing out like five or six very unique characters. Which if you don't love Hadrian and you're a character driven reader, a this would be a problem. Yeah. <laughs> I will say that he, what's interesting though about his character is because, well, spoiler free, honestly, you can talk about it like, the way the time works in the world where they have like standard years and people go in and out of fugue and they f basically freeze themselves for however many standard years. And like people are hundreds of years old. Yeah. And because he's, um, a Palatine, <laughs> because he's Palatine, he mm -hmm. can live for a very, very long time. And like, he'll, he can go into fugue and like people will live and die and he'll wake up kind of thing. Cause he could be in there forever. Mm -hmm. Um, because of that and just how, Rocky does a lot of time skips. Like you'll mm -hmm. see it like as you read the books, a book will start and it will just be like a hundred years later. Like there's like jarring time skips in some of these where it's hundreds of years have passed. Wow. And he actually matures a lot though. Mm -hmm. And there's even points in later books where he recalls like how stupid and immature he was as a younger man. And I actually noticed in some of them were like young Hadrian and empire of silence will make a decision to do something rash or, hateful or something like that and like two three books from now i'm just like oh like old hadrian probably would have done this but like he's acting differently because he's growing and right. he's maturing so like some of that you actually do get to see and i feel like he's a very well-developed character overall because he mm -hmm. actually is growing it's not like he's 500 years old and he's still acting like a child because that would be terrible yeah so i think he's actually doing a good job of showing that he's actually learning from him his past self which is good but well, the good time thing also is contributes to the revolving door of side characters yes. because they are like dead and not because right. they got killed in battle, <laughs> literally because, yeah. like they're it's a hundred years later they died yeah. Yeah. right yeah interesting well that's good to hear because that's i like that that is a thing that i find more interesting when we get to see characters actually grow over time so okay so let's move into spoiler territory uh, the brief uh love story that was hadrian and cat was, <laughs> was where, like someone asked irrelevant. us something about it and you and i were both like who yes we were literally <laughs> asked like, oh we yeah her yeah we were like weren't you just so heartbroken when cat died and i was like who what why why do i care i mean <laughs> i like no i didn't even think of it as a romance i was just like oh like but even as a friendship kind of like, like when she when she dies though like you know, romance or not like right. i felt not Wasn't it nothing. literally supposed to be his love interest, though? Because there was like a time skip, though. And it was all of a sudden this girl that he was supposed to be with and caring about. And she was dying. And I was like, I, I well, I'm not attached to her at all. Though. Yeah, I read it as like they had been, you know, significant others to each okay. other. Friends yeah. with benefits. <laughs> I, I mean, I can were. see that. I guess I just didn't think of it as like a big deal. <laughs> yeah, she died. Sucks. Yeah. yeah. It's unfortunate. <laughs> well, and then is it Volca? The Volca, yeah. Volca. The one she, you were to. Yeah. So like I like Volca. I like her too. I, I, I like, like her. her. I don't like the relationship. But I don't really like their relationship because it, it sort of feels like this thing of he's like, wow, I'm really into you. And she's like, <laughs> okay. <laughs> like, I don't know. I just I, Well, it's I'm also like, I remember what? like because in Empire of Silence, this is another one of those like future Hadrian. 
just mm-hmm. talking about how like oh yeah and this is like crazy to think this is when i first met valka we were like no one to each other so yeah. like i mean it is yeah. partially the vibe that he's into her before she's into him but also he's telling it from the future so like mm-hmm. he's telling it as like right. i this is a person that i am eventually into so like i'm already like i can't not think of her that way when i'm telling you about her when the first time yeah. i met her right even though but, she wants nothing to do with him for a lot of reasons and keep calling him a savage <laughs> I mean, honestly, she's not. I, I mean, it makes sense mm-hmm. that she wouldn't, because I'm like, why? What? Like, what about him would be appealing to her beyond just like a short-term fling? Like, at this point in his life, he looks like Hayden Christensen. <laughs> oh no, that is not not in his favor either. <laughs> He's a young Anakin. That we're yeah. going for. Well, she is Padme, so. <laughs> oh gosh, they had zero chemistry. <laughs> Wait, are we still talking about the book or no Star Wars? Stuff? Well, the book, oh, I'm but... talking about the book. <laughs> <laughs> no, yes, I was talking the about Pat, no chemistry. Hayden yes. Christensen and oh, Natalie man. Portman. Natalie, especially Portman. in the first movie when it was a child. Oh <laughs> uh, well, that, yeah, <laughs> that was. I was like, why, why, why are you doing this? Why are yeah. you making a grown woman but talk honestly, to a child? Honestly, at least in the interest? first movie, I thought they liked each other. Like, not romantically, but the other ones, I was like, I don't find this remotely believable, but okay, sure. So, spoilers, other things that are, like, the alien stuff is really interesting. And the fact, I have theories, and I know you guys can't probably tell me anything. You can lead the conversation about the CL Center, because I don't (laughs) want to say anything. (laughs) Yeah, so it's interesting, right? Because we don't know much of anything about them like the Mm -hmm. church doesn't want people to even know they exist because their whole story is like oh humans were the first and best and most advanced Um, Yeah, the chantry is a little crazy and that's that's one of the biggest things that was very similar to dune was like yeah how adverse the technology they are and Mm -hmm. they don't want people to have like implants or like alter their humanity even though you have literal people like Created in a lab and lived to be a thousand. Oh, that's right. something that don't we put a computer. In don't put a computer in you. <laughs> yeah, that's what we laughed about all the time about how like when Hadrian talks about like being born, he talks about being decanted. Right. <laughs> You're like, oh my god, <laughs> I don't like that. Literal right. experiment babies. Like but... his mother was late to his birth. <laughs> but don't use tech because right. the chantry is crazy religious people that don't yeah. like technology. It's it's really interesting, but it's interesting too because when he does, you know, when Hadrian goes to these ruins and they respond to him in ways they don't respond to anybody else, which which I have to say makes me wonder about I can't remember the, what the the term for what he's he is as like nobility with like his DNA and stuff. Are you talking about him being Palatine? Palatine, yes. Um, it makes me wonder if there's something about his being Palatine where maybe they like used some of the DNA from these aliens to make them live longer. And that's why the ruins are reacting to him the way that they are. Because, I mean, in general, this book is interesting because it's a lot of this exploration of like, what does it actually mean to be human? And at what point mm-hmm. are you a created thing versus not? And that like the nuances of that are pretty yeah. interesting. Yeah, for sure. I mean, it. he does a lot with that throughout the novels, honestly, like constantly, because I I feel like I think in Empire of Silence, they did this a lot where he sees other humans interact with like alien races and mm-hmm. they kind of treat them like crap. 
And he's just like, oh, yeah, that's a good reminder that we're just awful. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and he's like trying to be better. And I feel mm -hmm. like he learns a lot and gets better. But like even still, some of his instinct is just like, ah, aliens, like, get away from me. <laughs> Yeah, so I, I called him uh, an armchair anthropologist for the yeah. beginning, but he's also kind of a limousine liberal <laughs> when he's like, <laughs> like when he thinks about those things, he's like, I'm better than other people because I realize that we're awful. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So great. <laughs> well, there's interesting moments, too, where like he I don't know, like one where he interacts with a homunculus who's like calls him brother and he's like, what? What are you talking about? And mm -hmm. But like, yet they're both genetically manipulated and grown in vats and not born naturally so like how yeah. different are you really and that's not the only time that happens no. honestly like throughout the series it's like kind of a recurring thing where like that topic comes up where it's he like keeps seeing himself as like a person and then people are just like well you're just like us like you're a freak kind of thing mm -hmm. so it's really interesting honestly because you see it from not just another palatine but other like a homunculus is literally like, like grown in the lab yeah. And they see him as one of them. Like, that's that's just kind of a cool concept because it's like a constant reminder to him that he's not normal and that that play on like what is humanity or like what makes a person is very prevalent in a lot of sci fi. Mm -hmm. And this this does it in an interesting way and doesn't make it boring, which I appreciate because I've read like thought provoking old classic sci fi that makes it as boring <laughs> as possible. But yeah, I feel like he's doing that very intelligently in this. Well, it's also just like a, a constant sense of because he's not a pantser, you know, like he's clearly planned, like he's telling the story like with an end point in mind. Obviously. So yeah. like there's always this sense of because I've been burned by enough series that we're pantsed where like there's mysteries teased. The problem is the author also doesn't know what the mystery is. <laughs> so then we get to the end and you're like, well, that was terrible because you didn't actually have a plan. You just were like, this was this is cool. I'll figure it out later. It's great to read something that is so baffling, but to like feel confident that there's a plan for this that this isn't just like them throwing something out and being like uh hope that plays well i'll figure it out later because so far the stuff that has been obviously there's like still a million questions but like stuff that has been teased and somewhat explained like those explanations have well they've also brought fresh questions but like it has never been a oh that was a lame explanation and it wasn't also just sort of like um paid forward to the next book where you're like i still am not gonna answer that because i still haven't figured out what i'm gonna do with that right. like it feels very much like a, a trickling of information in a very intentional way i like reading books like these let the author take the wheel and i trust mm -hmm. you that you are guiding me where you're planning to and that i can't wait to see where that is yeah it's cool too how he literally structures the books to kind of play on that because it it's taking hadrian literally hundreds of like standard years to get to places because this is actually a space opera where it's massive and they're constantly traveling to other worlds. And it's a slow trickle of information because you do start with Hadrian. I mean, he's retelling the story, but Hadrian on his home planet eventually has to get to old man Hadrian, who is basically whatever, like conquered the world and killed all the CLs and everything else that he says, like right at the beginning of the book. Mm -hmm. And because like the time, it's not like, a Song of Ice and Fire is something where you start questioning time at cer at certain points because you're like, well, these characters are like 10. Like, how are they supposed to get here? And then like time ends up being weird in a lot of books where like, I feel like timelines just get thrown out the window in the sake of story. And then you're like, wait, it's only been six months. Like, how did all this happen already? It's mm -hmm. been like 400 years. And you're just like, oh, that makes sense because they had to go all the way over there. They had to like cryogenically freeze themselves and then get unfrozen. And they're slowly learning so much. And 
basically what you think you know like in empire of silence about the cielsen and the world is just like scratching the surface tip of the iceberg it's just it's really fun to learn more about it because Mm -hmm. it actually feels like it's a slow burn process and it's built into the literal timing of like him discovering it so i just feel like that was like really well done i guess yeah the timing is also just like an adjustment like mentally because like a time skip of 30 years between other in uh, in another series you'd be like so we're talking about the next generation now yeah Um, whereas here it's like you know okay that's a normal thing to happen and also within a book when they're like oh you know we're really close to that place it'll only take us like five years in fugue to get there so like let's pop over there (laughs) five years yeah i mean compared to 30 is yeah is brief (laughs) right (laughs) trying to like think in but those space terms. time scales are different yeah one thing i did appreciate about the choices he made for the world building that i just think is honestly more authors should do this because why not if you're writing speculative fiction um but while there is oppression and classism and stuff that happens it's not about the same things like it's structured differently so there's not like racism in the same way and there's not like homophobia because people are just like casually queer in the background and so like i i appreciate the fact that yes there are oppressive systems and people who are being harmed by it but it doesn't just mirror what our world is already doing yeah, again, two on the nose, one to one allegories. You're yeah. like, okay, I see what you're doing here. <laughs> right. Well, also because I think like when you're writing something in another world or another time, you have an opportunity to write some of that stuff out and explore things in different ways. And I think it's cool when people do that. Oh, for sure. That's why like it kind of goes back to Rocky just does a lot of things that are familiar, but he does them really well. Because mm-hmm. he's he just seems to be a very good writer and has a grasp on like how to handle a lot of that. Is the dumb way to do it be like, we just don't like aliens because they're different from us. We should build a wall around our solar system and keep them out. It'd be like, right. Okay. Like, I clearly see what you're saying. Yeah. Um, and, and I think showing like his interpretation or like his opinion on, I forget what the race of aliens was, but like there's one that they're typically used as like slaves. And like that moment when he sees like two normal humans or whatever that he thinks are going to this is in Empire of Silence, right? I'm not making this up. Or was it in Howling Dark? It gets in Howling Dark. Um, yeah. It's a I very minor think... scene, but it's okay. it's basically just him <laughs> looking at humanity and like he sees two people like being nice to this like slave race. He's just like, oh see, like humans are good. And then one of them just like beats crap out of it. He's like, oh and we're back <laughs> to normal. Like humans suck. Uh, so it's just like that kind of moment. And he's mm-hmm. seeing it and like you're getting his perspective on it and just it's it's not beating you over the head with it. It's like a small scene and then it's done. Mm-hmm. But like you can still see how untrustworthy some people are to these other races. And like if you're surrounded by a lot of humans in like his group and then you have this other race, like most people probably just see the Cielsen as like they're just the bad guys. But like you don't really know anything about them yet. So I think he, he trickles a lot of that in really well too and just kind of slowly builds up like why these different people think differently about other you know species so right yeah well and like towards the end of empire of silence the part that did make end up making me cry like what it most reminded me of was uh oh what's the movie called district nine um have you not seen district nine <laughs> well long camp movie yeah so have you heard like like we should like take a shot every time leanna asks if i've seen a movie and i say no <laughs> but have you heard of district nine yeah. yes zombies 
aliens. aliens. Oh, okay. Well, it's close. <laughs> well, it's a very good movie, but um, it's in a, like a situation where there's you know there's aliens on Earth, and they're being treated pretty horribly. There is a name for them, but they are like I guess racistly colloquially called prawns because yeah. they look kind of like crustaceans. But like mild spoilers for District Nine. There's a part where the main character sees where they are being experimented on. Like he infiltrates the facility mm-hmm. and sees like the horrible state of the bodies of these aliens. And it is like, it's horrifying. So like the part in Empire of Silence when Hadrian is party to them torturing the Sielsen. Like I just kept picturing that part of District 9. Mm-hmm. Only, you know, sub in Sielsen. Yeah. yeah. It was pretty horrifying. So, okay. So just because I'm conflating things now so was that that torture scene was at the end of empire silence yes Yes. with the chantry and like the scepter or whatever that they were like burning them with Mm -hmm. yep good i didn't spoil it (laughs) no because that's that was honestly one of the incredibly dark and like hard to get through moments because it it almost becomes like horror ish at that point of the story and it gets i mean there's some parts throughout like the other books where it it kind of feels like a horror novel in different ways but like that whole like torture sequence and him just kind of having to like loosely translate because like he can understand and like talk to it a little bit and it's like that whole scene was just well i think I it's know, another example of like we said like he's done things that other authors have done and he's taken issues that like you could handle in a really like simplistic way and like yeah he could have a scene where like okay so we're, we're torturing aliens and that's bad yeah. But like, right. it's just so much more than that. There's so many layers and levels in the way that Hadrian is like complicit in this, but also hates that he's doing it. But also mm-hmm. it's not like this Yeltsin are made out to be like the innocent, poor, sweet aliens that yeah. they're just being tortured because they're like, they're like, they are the enemy. They are, this is war. So it's not that simple either. And the way that Hadrian's like ability to understand them, his like comprehension of their language grows and changes because of this experience. And he's questioning like what they do and do not have the right to do. And like he hates everyone who's complicit in it, but like he's complicit in it as well. So like he's part of the system. Like how much can he hate anybody that's participating in this when he's doing it too? I feel like I need to reread it just for that like sequence. Yeah. Good. Which I mean is I I think is you know real for anybody who is part of a ruling class where you know like what do you do with that? You can't escape to some extent being complicit in a system that is harming other people. How, how do you come to terms with that and what do you do but also i mean again it's not like it's not made where it's like simple where we're like well it's wrong to torture them and it should no. never be done and they're perfect and wonderful and innocent and, and we're being bad like there's like arguably necessity like this is war and we need this information maybe is although but like the fact that they were there on a religious pilgrimage yeah. makes it pretty horrifying honestly because they oh, i'm not defending it i'm just saying like he makes yeah. it complicated yeah where you're not yeah. just like i mean i guess an innocent like i don't know not. i mean i guess for me reading it i did feel sort of like it like it it felt like a war crime because they were sort of civilians like they were there on a religious pilgrimage they weren't there as soldiers and so it it does feel really messed up yeah, I'm not saying that it's not messed up. I'm just saying that, like, it's complicated because of, like, what else the Cielsen aren't doing. And, like, if you're yeah. desperate to try to defeat them any way you can, then is it, are you going to sacrifice your entire race because doing a war crime 
on this like one innocent one like you know those are the questions that their this leadership is asking and like they have clearly decided that you're not asking them which is the problem it's like <laughs> like if it were our world to be like violating the geneva convention which i mean we see that happening in our world now like with russia and i don't know it's it's awful yeah it is yeah at least the seals are like eight foot tall like killing machines giant claws <laughs> yeah, <that's something. laughs> i know yeah yeah also um, just makes you kind of feel like the chantry is just kind of full of shit right because mm -hmm. they are clearly like the manipulative like religious body that kind of like is overbearing on most of society yeah and that's that's very evident in this novel that they're just kind of like crazy religious people and control with an iron fist right but i was like their power over the government too and it has that kind of big brother feel at times mm -hmm. about like every everything that they've got their nose in everything that they know all the time for sure well i do think it's interesting this idea of using religion as a way of controlling people's access to information or stopping people from asking questions that are uncomfortable because mm -hmm. i think in smaller ways that is the thing that really happens yeah well i mean and, and if that's why i think it is so fascinating that Chris Verrocchio is a devout Catholic because the most similar really real world like version of the Chantry and how it's controlled people and controlled information is the Catholic Church. So like yeah. <laughs> That's why he made it so convincing. <laughs> yeah. Well, but it's it's interesting, right? Because you do see in small ways genuine faith from specific characters and so it's interesting because there is it does seem to be a separation between the institution of the Chantry as a religious organization versus, uh, you know, individual spirituality. But there are actual Catholics also in the story. Are there? Yeah. <laughs> as distinct from the Chantry. <laughs> Interesting. Yeah, there's, um, again, if you read Lesser Devil, you'll get a taste of that too. Um, really interesting. But what's also like, so how Rocky is a devout Catholic, but can write it in this way reminds me a lot of, just side tangent of Brian Lee Durfee being an ex-Mormon and also writing in his, you know, fantasy story, just, you know, religious people abusing religion for power and wealth and kind of controlling people. Like he does that great in those books, just from the same court, sort of like religious background of like, I know how they do this. Like I'm going to put it in the story and it's, it's pretty crazy. I've been meaning to read his books at some point because I find that very compelling, probably because of my own background. <laughs> yeah. It was, so, it's uh, one of the things that sticks out in both of these series is like something that he did very well and not too on the nose or just like comically evil where it's mm -hmm. just like, oh my God, like this mustache twirling villain is just like. There is literally nothing that is comically evil in yeah. any of, nothing really comical at all. Sunny, other than people pointing out. not a lot of comedy. Other than yeah. people pointing out how melodramatic Hadrian is and him saying, I mean, yeah. yes, I have always that been this That is funny way. because they do that in every single book and it's always <laughs> funny. Always funny. It's, it's never not funny. Every time yeah. it happens. So, is he always like this? Yes, he is literally always like this. <laughs> He'll be in the middle of a fight and they'll be like, why are you always so dramatic? He's just like, ask anyone that knows me. I'm always this way. Like, yep. <laughs> Good old Hadrian. Oh, man. Well, um, we're getting close to time. Any final thoughts or things you want to bring up about the book? Very well written. Lots of good action, characters, world building, yeah. uh, strong alien races that are super cool and mysterious. Well, strong and both physically and in exactly. terms of being well written. <laughs> I chose my words wisely. Book one is 
it's definitely slower and there's yeah. not a ton of action. There's a lot more in the other books, but it also gets a lot weirder and bigger in, in all very, it very gets good to being ways. dark age much faster. Yes. <laughs> Howling dark is there's, you'll start to hit like huge, like what, uh, what just happened moments, um, which are awesome. And I don't know, the, the series really has grown a lot since Empire of Silence, but this one as like a, an entry to a series kind of blew me away because I was like, I didn't expect this, like the beginning of a series to be this strong, especially knowing that this was like his first book. Like I'm and sure he's written keep, other stuff, but people said, you know, this is the weak one. So I was like, okay, so you yeah. know, I'll, you know, I'll give it some grace. And then I was like, this was so good. I'm crying. That was five stars. What do you mean this is the weak one? I was very pleasantly surprised at how much I enjoyed it. Like it was mm -hmm. truly like, I mean, comparing it to other book ones that I could look at on my shelves, it's, it's one of the standouts because like Red Rising compared to Dark Age. I mean, if you think about like where the author was when they wrote Red Rising versus Dark Age, or where Rocky probably was when he started Empire of Silence to where he's at now. It's just, it's, I don't know. There, this book one is just so much stronger than a lot of other series. It's, it's well, kind I just of think in general, the Sun Eater is very consistent in its quality. It is. Like, I think personally, the newest one is the weakest one, but that's only because, or I think it's only because it, it was split. Book four was split. And it does mm -hmm. feel to me like the first half of something. But I knew that going into it. And so like, I, like, I forgive that because I'm like, that this makes it not quite as good as but you think by itself as the others have been because mm -hmm. it feels incomplete but i also like feel like if this was the first half of a book it would it's just as good as the first halves of the other books it just feels like only the first half i think what he did well though with when you get to kingdoms of death because what he ended up doing because apparently there was like a paper shortage and he literally had to like split the book up but he still added like eighty thousand words to it to actually have it have like a final act and conclusion. So it does still do a good job of wrapping up or like putting you at an end point where it doesn't just feel like part one. Like it, it clearly is. And there is that feeling a little bit, but I didn't feel like robbed of a conclusion. Well, yeah, it feels it. less like for the first half of something than the Dune movie. That yeah. literally is like intermission. Yeah. yeah. See you in three yeah. years. As right. much as I love the movie, it's very clearly like unapologetically like, no, this is the first the half. The first like, half. Like, yeah. Got it right. Uh, we're, here. we're just going to say part one. Like, right. <laughs> and also add a line of like this, we've only begun or whatever. Like it's right. very much just like, yeah, guys, this is half of it. Well, this is, I, I feel like, like Kingdoms of Death is, it ends sort of the way that like the extended editions of Lord of the Rings movies do, where they have the midpoint where they like yeah. stop it and they're like continued on the next disc. So like in the Fellowship of the Ring, like they've gathered the fellowship and that is a conclusive moment and you really could have ended a movie there. That's not where the movie ended, but that's where they end the first half. And they're like, mm -hmm. okay, now get the next disc. So like, that's kind of how Kingdoms of Death is like, it's, it's like, it is an end point. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But like it does really compared to the others it does feel more like where the other ones would have been midway yeah i guess one of the last points for me because i don't i don't rate books this way but i know people that do where they say like 9.7 out of 10 or whatever <laughs> the only time that i said that in in chat for these books was if i rated them this way it would be like a 9.6 or like a 9.7 and then like a 9.8 <laughs> 9 and 10 for like demon and white is my favorite and it's like a 10 and then it's like Howling Dark was like a 9.9. .9. Like Kingdoms of, Kingdoms of Death is like a 9.7. And this would be like a 9.6. Like that's how consistent they are and how close they would be. Where they're all like five star books. But they're like mm -hmm. kind of tiers within that. Whereas some other series 
like certain books just completely fall off a cliff for me. Mm-hmm. This is very much like, no, like here's the floor and then the ceiling is like up here. So yeah. it's it's pretty great. I think probably because of Liana, I went into this with like very high expectations, which may have been a little bit to its detriment. Um, So I did still really like it for me. Like I ended up landing on four stars for this one, but I still really liked, I mean, obviously liked a lot yeah. about it and want to continue with the series. Parts of it dragged a bit. Also, That's fair. So, it, but, it definitely um, is one of the slower ones. Yeah. But, I mean, for for a debut from a guy in his, who was in his early 20s when it came out, like, it's... For it's being the weak one. <laughs> it's impressive. Yeah. 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 I think it's definitely one of those series where it's like, if this is the weak point, then, mm-hmm. and you enjoyed it, then yeah. you should be good to go. Because yeah. they they honestly only get better. Kingdoms they of Death definitely have, get bigger. <laughs> yeah. I don't just mean, like, in length. I mean, like, in scope. Mm-hmm. Oh, way, way, way bigger. Like, it is a full-on space opera. Like, they are traveling all over the place. Exciting. All right. I think there's a lot to like here. And hopefully people, if they haven't read it yet, will go and check it out. And I'm excited to continue with the series. Because it is and... still not very widely read. Like, yeah, still a tiny. Well, I hadn't read. really heard about it much until you guys picked it up. So, but it, I, it, it really should have a wider readership. It's good. For sure. Yeah. So we're going to move into On My Radar, where we'll share recent or upcoming book releases in sci-fi, fantasy, and romance we're excited about. But first, if you enjoy the podcast, we'd appreciate if you take a moment to rate and review us so we can continue to reach more listeners. And if you are interested in getting early access to episodes, as well as exclusive bonus content with every episode, consider supporting us on Patreon. Huge thanks to all of our supporting patrons, including our world-expanding patrons, Trina and Sarah. You all make what we do possible. Thank you. And we'll move into the books. The books for today's episode will be primarily released between May 3rd and May 16th, 2022, with the exception of any guest recommendations. Could be anywhere kind of around there. I don't know if anybody else has anything they want to share. I have a few. Yeah. (laughs) Because I reminded you this time. (laughs) I literally Googled, like, right before I hopped on. (laughs) I was like, oh, it's coming out soon. (laughs) I will I be it. less prepared for this segment simply because the one that I was looking forward to just came out like I don't know, Hunger for the Hunger of the Gods, which I just got like yesterday. So okay. doesn't really count. Well, I mean you can still talk about it. That's fine. Let's uh Yeah, which the cover for that is those covers are striking. Love them. By John Gwen. Yeah. So May 3rd, I've got two. One is The Hacienda by Isabel Cañas. I'm really excited about this. I feel like it's going to be good. It's being pitched as Mexican Gothic meets Rebecca. It's a debut supernatural suspense novel set in the aftermath of the Mexican War of Independence about a remote house, a sinister haunting, and the woman pulled into their clutches. And I don't know whose clutches. It's a little, a, a little confusing. But the cover looks great. And I feel like there's a lot of buzz around this one. So I'm hoping it's going to be really good. And then also coming out May 3rd is Book Lovers by Emily Henry. And I'll be honest, this is the first book by her that I'm thinking of actually reading. Because the other ones like, just haven't been interesting to me. Or like haven't appealed to me. Although I know people really love them this one is a romance it's rivals to lovers with a literary agent and a brooding editor and it looks like it could be it could be fun i have a thing for once yes (laughs) (laughs) 
uh bravely by maggie stiefvater is uh a merida like disney's merida book but it's i have like utterly and entirely ignored all of the like disney novels but maggie stiefvater is an author that i quite like so and merida is a movie or brave is a movie that i quite like and i was like okay this one though i'm interested so yeah maggie stiefvater is the author Mm -hmm. of the raven cycle and um other stuff oh scorpio races and i feel like i mean she does like a lot of sort of like whimsical earthy magic type stuff yeah and that's kind of how brave is so i can see this yeah i hope it does i could see it potentially being good anyway i thought i didn't say that comes out may 3rd awesome may 10th we're getting a sequel misrule by heather walter which is the sequel to malice it's kind of a Sleeping Beauty retelling, but where the princess falls in love with the evil sorceress, who's maybe less. I evil read that John like- Gwynn book, and I promise that's not what it was about. I was about to say Malice is a very different story in my mind. <laughs> not that Malice this is a different one. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah, but it's. I really liked it, and I really liked the ending of this one malice by heather walter and so i'm excited to see because it's kind of an explosive ending and i'm curious to see how she's going to wrap up the duology and then also coming out may 10th is siren queen by nevo which i'm reading an early copy of right now and it's really interesting it's set in an alternate history kind of golden age of hollywood following a girl who is like a Chinese girl who's the daughter of immigrants who wants to be on screen, but it sort of literalizes the predatory practices of early Hollywood studios in ways that involve like magic and monsters and stuff. So it's, it's really interesting. And Nevo's writing is really pretty beautiful. So, so far I'm liking that. So the last one is May 12th, Nate plus one by Kevin Van Wy. I, I read an arc of this one. It is a, YA rom-com that's actually a romance which is why I bring it up because I feel like most YA romances are really just contemporaries with like a romantic plot this one is not it's actually romance with two kind of best friends who end up together and part of it is set in South Africa which is really interesting and I just thought it was really good so if that is something you're looking for and you want something that is actually a YA romance and not just a contemporary coming of age story that has a little bit of a romantic subplot, maybe check it out. All of those will be linked in the show notes or in the video description if you're watching us on YouTube, if you're interested in checking them out. Again, this has been Chapter 3 Podcast, and we're your hosts, Bethany and Leanna. You can follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok at Chapter 3 Podcast. And you can also find us on our individual YouTube channels, as well as Alex's, which will all be linked in the show notes or in the video description if you're watching us on YouTube. The next episode will be available in two weeks. I will be back with Izzy talking something romance related, which should be fun. And this episode's bonus content will be available to patrons in the next few days. Thanks for listening.